In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit, Amen. For all who exalt themselves will be humbled, and all who humble themselves will be exalted. So the story goes that during a Sabbath service, a rabbi is suddenly seized by a wave of guilt. And so he prostrates, prostrates himself and he cries out, God, before you I am nothing. And the cantor, the deacon in their church, is so moved by this demonstration that he throws himself on the floor beside the rabbi and says, God, before you I am nothing. And then so watching this scene unfold from this first row seat, a trustee of the synagogue then flops down in the aisle and he cries, God, before you, I am nothing. And so then the rabbi nudges the cantor and he whispers, so look who thinks he's nothing. <laughs> this is a, a Jewish joke and an old one. Talmudic scholars actually call this Jewish joke number 73. And Jews take their humor seriously. Perhaps because humor is a weapon for the powerless in the face of powerful enemies. And pride is indeed our most powerful spiritual enemy. And this joke reminds us that pride loves to disguise itself. It disguises itself as humility, even piety in this case, so it can enter sacred places like our church and wreak havoc. Uh, fortunately, though, our scriptures and our worship they teach us that there's a way to truly say and to mean, God, before you, I am as nothing. And if we do that, we find the everything we are called to be with God. So, first, is pride enemy number one in the spiritual life? It seems so. You just confessed all of the deadly sins in the first one, was pride, hapartutian. It's perhaps the reason why we bow so many times in church and say, I kiss the ground before God. Our church is teaching us to stay low and not be picked off by the sniper of pride. But why is pride, is it really the enemy of faith? Well, let's boil pride and faith down to its essentials. Jesus, as you know, boiled our faith down to just two commandments. Love the Lord God with all your heart and with all your soul and all your mind, and then second, love your neighbor as yourself. C.S. Lewis did the same thing by boiling pride down to its essentials. And he said, first, that pride distorts our love for God, the first commandment. A proud man, wrote Lewis, is always looking down on things and people, and of course, as long as you're looking down, you can't see what's above you. And then Lewis goes on to say that pride distorts our second love and commandment for others. Pride gets you no pleasure out of having something, only out of having more of it than the next man. And that's why the joke we began with is so ironically funny. These men were fighting about something, but they were fighting about literally nothing. But only let me be more of nothing than the other guy over there. And this, of course, is the greatest irony because our ego and pride does usually leave us with nothing. That no matter how much 
we feed it with, with praise, accomplishments, wealth, or power, it always wants more and is not full. The appetite of my ego always exceeds the grocery store of my soul, said Craig Lounsborough. No matter how much we feed it, it's never filled. That's why there's so much focus in this church on fasting and repentance, in our church calendar and in the writings of our church fathers. If you count up all the days of repentance in this church, it's about half the calendar. We're in that 50 days of repentance before Christmas. And it's because, honestly, we're all kind of like addicts, myself first, when it comes to our ego. If we feed it just a little bit, we find that it grows out of control. And so our tradition teaches us to starve the ego like you'd starve a cold. You've heard that saying. It teaches us to mortify the ego and its desires because, not because we're masochistic and want, don't love ourselves, but because we trust that God is building up a self within us much greater than we currently are. Only with Him can we do this. And so Jesus offers us help, as He always does, in not feeding our ego. And in today's reading, He shows us and it's no coincidence that he shows us with a story centered around a feast when we talk about starving our ego. Jesus is invited to share the great Sabbath meal with this influential Pharisee, and everyone is falling over themselves to sit in the best seats, which was a big deal in, Jesus, in uh, Jewish culture, to sit in the best seats and to fill their egos and fill their stomachs. And Jesus burst the bubble of the hosts and the guests. He starts with the guests and he says, you should fight to sit in the cheap seats, not in the seats of honor. And then, and he says, you won't be full of yourselves that way and you can be filled by the love of God and others. And then he turns to the host and he says, you shouldn't invite your influential friends to our house, your house, because you too will become full of yourself. Rather, invite the poor and the crippled and the lame and the blind, and then you will be blessed and filled by love of God and others. So boiling this teaching down to a one-liner, Jesus concludes, for all who exalt themselves will be humbled, and all who humble themselves will be exalted. And so when it comes to pride, Jesus' love is always tough love because he doesn't want us to underestimate the power of the enemy. That's the context in which to understand one of Jesus' harshest statements, which you actually hear frequently at the end of service when we have requiems. Jesus says, those who love their life lose it, and those who hate their life in this world will keep it for eternal life. Jesus is not saying we should hate our life in the sense of hating the great gift of life that God has given us that makes no sense. He's saying we should hate our false self, our ego and our pride which constantly whispers into our ear and deceives us to be less than we are called to be in Him. And so let's then make a daily practice of starving our pride, doing good without recognition, building up others and not ourselves, giving to those who we know can't give back to us. And then in time, we'll be ready to say and to mean we are as nothing before God and thereby 
find the everything that we're called to be in him, now and always, and unto the ages of ages. Amen.